Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Three, two, one. All righty. Hey, folks. It is the Bleacher Blums podcast. This is the last time we're going to have the bleachers open before Thanksgiving. And yes, this is a new voice introducing the Bleacher Blums podcast. Please don't fret. Jeff Blum, Blummer27, is still out there. But uh, Dave Tuttle's taking the lead today. And uh, we are doing this on a new platform. We're trying a, uh, a different medium of recording. So hopefully it sounds good. And uh, we just wanted to kind of start the podcast out here in California uh, so we didn't have to jump right into Astros stuff. I wanted to quickly touch on the fact that uh, Thanksgiving is coming up and we continue to talk about what we're thankful for. And uh, both of us are going to take some time off. That's Blummer and at Real David Tuttle. Uh, we're going to take some time off for the holidays and I hope you guys all do the same thing. And while you're taking that time off, we'd love for you to listen to the Bleacher Blums podcast. So, uh, with no further ado, just wanted to uh, continue to thank you guys to uh, to download and uh, subscribe and rate and review our podcast. The uh, the momentum is picking up, believe it or not, here in the off season, and maybe that's because we've uh, ventured away from the baseball season and some of the Astros talk that uh, that was getting a little stifling and suffocating. So um, let me uh, let me bring in Blummer Blummer here on the third coast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Nice work bringing it in. Obviously, we enjoy being in the bleachers. And you're right. If uh, over the break you are in dire need of getting some some more of Tuttle and I, you can go to bleacherblums.com and download and find whatever platform you're able to listen to it on. There's also links to archives out there to listen to past podcasts. But in speaking about the website and speaking about the archives and reaching back and and back on this date one year ago. We are celebrating one year. This is our one-year anniversary of being on Bleacher Blums. It has been a long, arduous, interesting, fun trek across the landscape of the podcast world. But congratulations, Tully. You have been on a podcast for one year to the day. I didn't know that. Uh, how about that? Uh, you snuck our anniversary up on us. I keep thinking we've been doing this like eight to ten months, but we've made it 12 months. And uh, I think a lot of that thanks not only goes to you, but obviously to the fans and the people out there listening to what what's going on. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. We made it 12 months. This is uh, about five years in the making, and now we've made it through 12 months. So uh, happy anniversary to you as well, Plumber. Yeah, it's awesome stuff, and we know that we love the interaction. Uh, you just heard that Tuttle, you can reach him on Twitter, at Real David Tuttle. You can also reach myself, at Blumber27. But in in doing this podcast and having the website up, we have created all kinds of interaction, and that's what we enjoy a lot, and it leads to the mailbag. If you go to bleacherblums.com, you can send us some questions, and I know Tuttle's got a couple in the rack right now. I do. So I have about five questions on, let's see, I'm going to go here. I have about five questions on uh, sign stealing and uh, I'm going to kind of condense those all into one. So folks, if I don't read your question, please bear with me. <laughs> um, but this will, should be covered. This is a long one. So this is from uh, Daniel B. And Jeff and I talked about this a little bit yesterday off air, but uh, this was a really good question. I think it kind of encompasses what we were saying and some of the ideas around what we're what we're trying to uh, we're trying to accomplish with our dialogue here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. So, 
Bear with me, folks. It's a little bit long. I just want to thank you guys for clarifying the topic of sign stealing to many people. I played college baseball at Tarleton State University under Brian Conger, who's now with the Texas Rangers. As a pitching staff, we spent a large chunk of our time focusing on avoiding tipping our own pitches, as well as finding innovative ways to steal signs from a, the opposing team. The number one thing we had success with was seeing the ball in the glove of the pitcher. This could be from the runner on second or even the third base coach with a right-hander on the mound. Oftentimes, we had the signs or sequences by the second inning. Sometimes, we could even determine the pitch by the way his forearm flexed on a fastball or a changeup grip. As a staff, we would not care if you were using technology to try and decipher our signals because we were constantly mixing it up and hiding the ball. Also, technology would have made the process of relaying information to our hitters longer than using real-time decisions based on what we were seeing. After spending thousands of hours studying pitchers' behaviors and routines, it has amazed me how many big league pitchers still tip their pitches. In my personal opinion, I believe that the Astros players are exploiting information given to them indirectly by the opposing team. In your recent podcast, you were asking what the solution is. I believe that the solution is that opposing teams need to get better at hiding their pitches and change their signals more frequently. The Astros have done a tremendous job at pitcher development. It seems obvious to me that they understand both sides of this. Do you believe that the solution of sign stealing is as simple as each organization making an effort to hide their information or to make it more challenging? No, great comments. And obviously, you know, it, we talk about the major league level. This is going on in high school. It's going on in minor league ball. It's going on everywhere across the country. If you if you are seeking an advantage during a game, you can go out there and steal signs. Now, the problem I'm having with the whole sign stealing situation is saying it's illegal. It is not illegal to steal a sign in a game on the field from your dugout or from the or looking across the way and watching the manager give signals to the third base coach or give signals to the catcher. None of that is illegal. I think what a lot of people need to understand and what I'm tired of hearing about outside of the Astro world we live in is hearing people going, you guys are a bunch of cheaters, you steal signs, blah, blah. Listen. Your team does it. I know the Yankees are the altar of baseball. I know that the Red Sox are the other altar of baseball. These guys steal signs. They are looking for a competitive advantage. If I'm facing a guy with four-plus pitches, and I can figure out what one of those pitches is by the way he holds the baseball, the way a forearm moves, or the way he licks his lips, I am going to use that information to try and get a hit. Now, that's where we draw the line on the field, in the dugout, I get it. Now you go into electronic surveillance. That's where the issue sets in, and that's where the rules are kind of drawn at the line because the almighty Yankees were fined for using the Yes Network center field camera. The Red Sox in 2017 were busted using an Apple Watch, so they have chinks in their armor and evidence, actual evidence and fines levied against teams who are actually caught cheating. Yes, the Astros are probably going to fall into that category of going above and beyond the normal means of on-field uh, espionage. They have taken it off the field. They're finding evidence. They're going to get fined. Be prepared. I'm telling all Astro fans right now, be ready. Get mentally prepared to be fined, to have see suspensions, to see draft picks taken away. They are going to make an example of the Houston Astros and whoever they find guilty of doing the electronic surveillance to find an advantage. Just be ready for that. 
but it was kind of interesting to read some of the articles. Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellich come out with the article just bashing the, the Astros and what they've done. And all of a sudden, we saw, we see another article from Ken Rosenthal, base, and USA Today, too, for that matter. Bob Nightingale's another guy. Uh, Tuttle actually retweeted it on his feed. People are either listening to us or they just took a while to say what we've already been saying on this podcast. We understand that there's going to be punishment, but we also understand Ken Rosenthal wrote a, a backup article uh, to the original one he wrote saying that it's going to he shouldn't or Manfred should not stop at the Astros. And I agree with that. That's what Tuttle and I have been talking about. Just because one team's doing it doesn't mean there aren't 29 other teams doing it. The fact is, the Astros went above and beyond. They got caught. They pissed some people off. And now they're interviewing people outside the organization who used to be here. And they're getting thrown under the bus. It happens. It happens in uh, everyday work jobs. It happens in the major league world. There are some bitter employees or bitter people who work around them and recognize a flaw in an organization, and they expose it. It has now been exposed. It is going to be there. It's unfortunate, but we are going to have to deal with the consequences and move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think here's the thing with technology in general, not just technology and sign stealing, is we know that there are laws and um, there are foundations and frontiers. That's the word I'm looking for. There's frontiers that haven't been crossed yet. And that's what we're talking about. We're ta I loved your word espionage. I mean, we're always pushing the envelope in any industry, in any kind of uh, career, we're always pushing the envelope. And to your point, this is not an Astros thing. This is, I go back to the steroid era when I played, guys were doing steroids. Were steroids illegal? Yes, they were in, in as far as uh, getting them without a doctor's prescription. But guess what? that baseball wasn't testing for steroids. So that's the biggest got, thing is there was no rule for it. There, correct. You, there was correct. There was no rule with the players association and major league baseball. So they're not drug testing for it. So guys were doing it and pushing the envelope because it was obviously, uh, they felt like it was enhancing their career and helping them make more money and move along and gain a competitive advantage. And if you don't think in the real world or in the sports world or any other sort of dynamic that people aren't trying to push the envelope, then you're crazy. And I think that's what we're talking about. I love the word espionage. That's great. I mean, this is a new frontier, but let's not just pin it on the Astros and pin it on some disgruntled employees. Like you said, Mike Fires and some other folks that maybe left the Astros under uh, under not the best, ter uh, best terms or circumstances. You already mentioned the Yankees were fine. You mentioned the Red Sox were fine. If these guys can push the envelope, they will. We know that as a fact. Yeah, and I just want to follow up on that and maybe get this sign-stealing stuff out of the way. There's a couple of things you need to know logistically is that the max fine under the current CBA is $2 million. I would imagine that the Astros are going to be fined $2 million. I know they can reach in and get draft picks because that, was, that precedent was already set when the Cardinals hacked into the Astros database. So they took away draft picks, gave those to the Houston Astros. I'm not sure who these draft picks would go to, but they probably will take those away. And the interesting thing to me is, will they reach inside the organization and actually suspend front office or coaches? I'm not sure what they're going after, but it would be interesting if they're able to do that. And uh, they've also said that they're going to expand to 2018-19 as far as what they hear. And I also uh, read an article or heard a quote from Manfred that said that we're going to follow every lead that we get. So who knows, within the Astros organization, that when they start to interview actual Astro employees, maybe they'll start pointing to other teams and that'll give Manfred the other opportunity to go out and investigate some of these other uh, ball clubs around the around the uh, league 
and I also think it's it's true to the point that it's a PED similar type situation where people recognized a weakness or a flaw in the system and and exploited it, and that's why I think there's more teams than just the Astros doing it. But to Tuttle's point about you know disgruntled employees, just if you're if you're bored and you really want to have some fun and just if you're a conspiracy theory type guy like we know there are plenty out there, go ahead and look at the Astros 2017 roster 40 man roster on the year at the year end and then look at how many of those guys played against the Astros on playoff teams because I believe during the regular season you might hear guys say well the Astros maybe did this they're going to be looking for signs but once you get to the playoffs that's when you're trying to get your own competitive advantage against the Astros. So you're going to divulge even more information to try and find a way to defeat them. And I think that's where it could be a lot of fun, a little more interesting. If you're bored and you've got some time on the internet to really search that out and find those guys and maybe, you know, start cluing together or piecing together possibilities of, you know, some angst against the Astros. It's against, it's mostly against other playoff teams that you're playing against. And those guys who were on the Astros previously are looking for advantages against the Astros currently. So it's kind of fun to do that. I'll let you do that on your own. But at the same time, uh, let's let's hope that this is is done and over with, so we can move on because it is kind of a stain on the system right now and the league. Well, I think as we kind of dig in and get under the carpet and kind of into the weeds about this stuff, I think you know we could continue to talk and talk and talk about it. But I think uh, I had two points. One is Bill Belichick is still known as the greatest football coach of all time. And he has that kind of Spygate thing in his background where somebody had brought, you know, the film to him. I mean, Astros should be fined. There should be some sort of precedent set here. And then all of the teams know what the rules and the parameters are. And then we move on. And then the thing that you mentioned about how important championships are and how important working for an organization is. There was a re- an article this week about Eric Weddle uh, had been a charger for so long and uh, became a Raven, and he really loved the Ravens organization for stepping up and giving him a contract and giving, you know, treating his family really well. So as the Ravens come back to play the Rams, where Eric Weddle's now playing, he's not divulging a lot of the secrets. He may be talking about culture and work ethic and things like that, but he's not going to give away the farm because he feels like the game can be won on the field. And I think that's a unique perspective, but we're also talking about a regular season game versus a playoff. And it'd be interesting to see if, uh, you know, obviously they're in different conferences and and things like that. But it'd be interesting to see if the Rams and the Ravens were playing to get into the Super Bowl or <laughs> playing a, a more important game, if that would if that would still hold true. So let's uh, let's move on to the next question. Hey, guys, my question is being how the Astros. I'm sorry, it's from Michael. I think Michael's been on here before. Hey, guys, my question is being how the Astros have had three straight seasons of deep playoff runs and are expected to have many more. Do you see fatigue becoming a factor in the long run, whether it's dips in stats or injuries? I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan and witness how Greg Popovich would rest his guys a lot in the regular season in the Duncan Parker Ginobili area. Just an example. Also, Tuttle, you being a Giants fan with their run from 2010 to 2014, I believe in those in between seasons, they didn't make the playoffs at all, which is another anomaly in itself. Do you think they benefited from that, winning those three titles in the five seasons, taking two Octobers off in between? Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Let me just uh, let me just take this one, and I will say that I think with playoff sports, whether it be hockey, basketball, baseball, or football, we see a different style. So I don't know if there's actual fatigue. Of course, the players get a little bit fatigued if you're playing 162 games and then you get into the playoffs. And there may be a cause to rest some guys. We've seen as this this uh, 
this email points out from Michael that Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili era, those guys, the rest kind of helped them as they got in the playoffs. But I also think the style of the sport changes, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast, whether it be baseball, football, hockey, any of those sports, the style changes. And so it's a little more physical and a little more intense and a little more high leverage. And I think that has a lot more to do with the fatigue than maybe playing these long seasons and having you know, three straight seasons of being in the playoffs. Because I think what happens in, in most sports is you want to be in the playoffs. You want to be there when, uh, when, when it's, uh, when it's championship time. And we've seen with LeBron and he's an, he's probably an aberration, but he he's, you know, he made six or seven or eight straight finals with three different teams. I mean, that that's got to wear you down a little bit, but he also has, you know, had the team around him to kind of make those runs and some of those guys, as he kept moving teams, probably weren't nearly as fatigued as LeBron was. So, you know, team sports, I think uh, I think you'd rather be there at the end than not. And and just to kind of answer the Giants question, I don't know if the Giants, obviously they didn't intentionally not make the playoffs in between those years, 10, 12, and 14. But uh, but I think, you know, that, that's a, that was kind of a unique situation as well. I, I don't really know if... Uh, I don't know if the Astros will be fatigued in the long run. I guess that was the question. I think guys would much rather be there than not, and you're putting in the work anyway. Yeah, and f- fatigue is a factor in all sports, and it, these seasons do run long. I know that the NHL has a pretty extended uh, playoff, and the NBA has an extended playoff. The uh, the Major League Baseball actually has an abbreviated one as far as teams that get in. So there's only three rounds that they get in. And obviously the division series is the best three out of five. So it's not even a full series. So there are ways that they do adjust to that. But I think it's the length and the and it's the amount of rest in between the end of the season for a player and then when they start getting ready for the next season. Because nowadays spring training is not a vehicle to get ready for the season. It's a vehicle to to make a team, to establish yourself on a team, whereas in the past, guys would use spring training to get in shape for the season. Now there's so many resources and so so much ability for these guys to go out there and be so prepared when they show up to spring training, and that might be where the fatigue sets in. But when the fatigue sets in or has the possibility of setting in, it's on the manager. A.J. Hinch does a good job of limiting guys' innings or pushing back some of the starters and making sure that he paces these guys. And it's an individual process because I believe the manager should go to each guy and go, how do you feel? How do you want to work this spring training? You know, A.J. is lucky to have a roster that's pretty well established, so he has guys that he knows are going to be in the starting lineup. So how do you make sure those guys are at 100% from day one? And then you can navigate through the 162 games if you have a good enough bench or role players to be able to give them time off to keep them healthy and keep them recharged going into those playoff runs. And at the same time, a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually an analytic. It's a health analytics team that is on most of these ball clubs now. I know the Astros have one, and they actually do a lot of studies on trying to figure out how to extend these guys and get the most out of them most consistently throughout the course of the season. And a lot of that goes into how much time they're on the field, how much rest they had in between uh, the end of the season and the spring training. So a lot of these factors are pulled in there. But at the same time, You know, the way to combat fatigue is to be in a playoff hunt and adrenaline can overcome fatigue. So you hope that's what's happening. But uh, these guys are professionals. They've got all the information in front of them and they know their bodies well enough that hopefully they find ways to combat fatigue. Plummer, every time we're on this podcast, I know this is our uh, one year anniversary today, but 
you bring up a new analytics department and it, <laughs> and it cracks me up because that's a job I should have got into. I mean, I, who are these people? I mean, I know some of them come from Yale and Harvard and I don't have that pedigree, but I'm sure a lot of them are interns, but it's like, all right, we have a nutrition then we have a you know a defense shifting a pitch sequence and all of a sudden now there's there's actually a dude out there going all right uh, Tuttle's been getting a six point two five hours of sleep per night uh, he's thrown X amount of innings he's uh, played in twenty games like I just can't I, I mean I get that they want to kind of reduce it down to numbers but this is where the analytics part gets as you said uh, I don't know forget fatigue in the playoffs I get analytics fatigue but it's uh, it's interesting that these teams have departments. No, they do. And just to give you an example, the Astros go through Oakland every year and it's a three game series. They actually recommend, I believe, giving the left fielder a day off because the jog from the dugout to left field adds an extra mile or something to every series that they're out there for three games. I don't know what, how many games it is, but it actually adds a little more mileage to their body as opposed to Yuli Gurriel, who has to go dug out to first base. It's kind of funny. It is funny. And then you add the drums in there. They, You know, you're like, oh. all right, well. In Oakland, we're going to give him the day off because he's got to run an extra mile, but he's also got to deal with the pounding of the drums. So here's some Advil and some earplugs, buddy. And, you know, you're going to get the day off tomorrow, so suck it up. Ain't that the truth? If there was a way to put an analytic on the eardrum abuse out there, that would be definitely one place to do it. That's right. All right, so uh, we're going to do one more question. We got a couple folks, and I really appreciate the downloading. As we said, the the you know, the responses have, have been fantastic, but... Uh, you know, the mailbag's filling up so much to the fact that we're not able to discuss some of the things that we want to discuss, and we need to get to our segments. As you know, Blum and Blummer's coming up. We got some Waddle Tuttle say, and uh, possibly some don't bet on it. I got to redeem myself. So last question here from Blake A. Blake's been on here before. These guys must be the the good question askers because they, uh, they keep making the rounds. But uh, it's from Blake. He says, love the podcast. You guys telling your stories are fantastic and i love the insight from your point of view of the game i was curious jeff if you had a go-to food item at any ballpark that you have that you have to have when you're there thanks for the podcast hashtag believe it nice job blake <laughs> nicely done uh we don't get an opportunity to actually get on the concourse so what i'm doing in my head right now as i'm speaking is trying to figure out if there's a particular place that we go to where I definitely make a point of getting onto the concourse to grab a certain food item, uh, the Chicago White Sox actually do a good job on their club level. We can actually uh, we have access to it, and we uh, and we have actually a server that comes in and brings us food from the club. But uh, obviously, we've got uh, Chef Jimmy at Minute Maid Park. He's always bringing us something. It feels like every homestand, he's either got lobster rolls or some kind of you know, brisket french fries, which were phenomenal, by the way. I'm actually a big fan of the barbecue. If I can find good barbecue around the, around the ballpark, I'll usually search it out. But if I, the one that always sticks out to me, and we don't go there, through there often enough, but it was something that kind of stuck, to me, stuck with me as a player. On the field, you can smell what foods are at the stadium. And sometimes if the wind's blowing right, you get a pretty good waft of what, what is going on in the concourse. And one, you know, the thing that jumps to my mind every time I think about that is San Francisco. And I don't know if you know this, Tuttle, but you probably do. He's giving me the thumbs up right now. Is man, I'll be standing at third base, and all of a sudden I'll just get this gust of garlic fries. And I mean, it's it's no joke. It, it's literally, I feel like about you know, sixteen cloves of garlic on this thing. Gordon the Biersch garlic fries, baby. Yeah, 
So if I had to pick one, and I've actually done it because we've called a couple of games there, I will search it out and I will go down there and say, okay, how do I get some of these? And I find them and usually get them. And you know, obviously I smoke out everybody in the, in the booth because I've got garlic breath, but that's the garlic fries in San Francisco are my go-to. Hey, at least your uh, at least your wife's not on the road trip with you, and you can have as much garlic as you want to have TK <laughs> deal point. with it. Yeah, you're, hopefully you're talking in the microphone and not talking into TK's uh, face. Um, I, so that's it for the mailbag. I wanted to do a quick shout out to uh, Ram Shirts, of course, for running that contest. I'm looking at Instagram now. It looks like uh, Ram Shirts announced the winners of the Bleacher Blum podcast free swag. I am not going to be able to read all of these uh, hashtag names, uh, but the winners are going to get a DM from Ram Shirts, and they're going to send out the free swag, and they're going to have some more giveaways throughout the rest of the year. So remember, Ram Shirts is the parent company of Crush City Tees. Crush City Tees makes the uh, Bleacher Blums podcast t-shirts, and you can go to crushcitytees.com or go to our website, bleacherblums.com, and get your Bleacher Blums t-shirts today. We're looking at making some adjustments. We still don't have hats out there, which is super disappointing, uh, and I'm not saying that to Ram Shirts. We're working on some new logos, and we're working on some new kind of manufacturing, and, and we're going to get those out, we promise. Um, let me try it. So it looks like... Uh, DVW underscore BFG, Moonshot Creations, Am Hammock, Amy Ruing, and Jay Reader were the winners of the uh, DM. So I guess, uh, I'm sorry, that's free swag. So how about that? I was able to get it onto the air. Blummer, any thoughts about the uh, the swag coming out? No, actually, I think there will be a couple of new designs, hopefully by December 1st. Obviously, with the Thanksgiving week coming up, things shut down. We, we get with our families, but there are some ideas in the works. The hat thing has got to happen. Uh, you know, we're both hat wearers, and obviously baseball fans love wearing the hats, but we got to get something in action. And I know for a fact that right around that first week of December, keep your eyes peeled and keep uh, on Twitter. Follow Tuttle and myself on Twitter, and you'll be able to be updated on all of that. And, of course, at Ram Shirts, we're grateful for the work that they're doing, helping us get some of that stuff out there. Great. All right. So um, do we want to start with Blum and Blummer today or what do we, where do we want to go here? We got an open forum, folks. It's an open forum, but Tuttle, you're driving the ship, man. You let me know what you need to do. All right. So do you have a topic for Blum and Blummer? Let's hear it. I kind of do. And it's, you know, they're also just want to throw some news and notes out there. Just some real subtle things that are out there. There's the Hall of Fame ballot is out. So uh, I will actually be submitting my play, ex-player version of the ballot to at Ace of Spader on Twitter. Ryan Spader is a statistician that uh, we all follow. He's been a great uh, friend of mine also. Uh, shared uh, several yinglings with him out on the East Coast. And uh, he sent me a player ballot. So look for that. I will try and fill it out over the Thanksgiving break. And, of course, thank you to Ryan Spader, who you can follow on Twitter at Ace of Spader to get a lot of other players input on the Hall of Fame ballot. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there's, I think, six ex-Astros on there. Billy Wagner should be a guy that uh, gets some votes. I'm kind of curious to see how the Bobby Abreu vote goes because that was one guy playing against him. Hated. And if I hated playing against you, it was because you were dominating against us. And Bobby, Bra Bobby Abreu was one of those guys 
It was just a pure hitter, all around good dude, to be honest with you. But uh, a true, I believe, a true five tool uh, type player. So I'm kind of curious to see how that unfolds. And obviously, the PED guys with uh, Barry Bonds, uh, Roger Clemens, all the controversy around those guys. Do they get in? And then some of the saltier attitudes. Do do voters actually give in to the Kurt Schilling and numbers that he's got and just take the attitude out of it and say, yes, he was a Hall of Fame player. So a lot of fun with that. Gary Sheffield's probably going to be a guy I vote for. I've already quoted it on Twitter where he scared the living daylights out of me or, to be more precise, scared the shit out of me at third base because he hit the ball so hard. Uh, Tuttle, you got any thoughts on the Hall of Fame ballot? Oh, I just wanted to say I faced Bobby Abreu his first year. I believe he was drafted by the Astros. He was either 17, 18, or 19 in uh, Green Greensboro, North Carolina. No, wherever the Astros. I was in the Green, Sally Greenville League. or something, right? Yeah, we were up in the mountains. Asheville. Okay. So Asheville, I played. So I was a college junior, you know, coming out. I was already had had been an All-American. I had some success. So I was definitely older. There was a 17 and a half, 18 year old kid for the Astros who batted either two hole or like three hole in their lineup. And here I was like 21, 22 years old coming down there. thought I was and I, and I totally agree with you. I, I don't think that Bobby Abreu is a Hall of Famer based on you know, what we've always talked about. Yes, maybe analytic-wise, but he's going to need a political campaign to get in because you don't look at Bobby Bobby Abreu and go, oh, yeah, definite Hall of Famer. But, you know, Harold Baines got in, so there's probably hope for everyone. Um, I will say that, that, yeah, Bobby Abreu, pure hitter right away. I was like, you know, you're trying to set this kid up. He's 17, 18, 19 years old. And, I mean, he just, you know, there are people that get it. And he was wise beyond his years. And I just wanted to share that. That was a personal experience I had because I remember thinking they had he was pretty highly touted. And, he, you know, he had a good bat. But I was thinking, yeah, this is a young kid. And uh, he was pretty pretty solid. And Asheville is a, not a great place to hit. It's in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And the mountains there. And it was like overcast and heavy air. And uh, just a weird stadium. I remember that. But, uh, yeah, Bobby Abreu's on the ballot this year. And I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see, especially with the Ace of Spader poll. It'll be interesting to see where uh, former players kind of rank him. Yeah, I always think it's fun just to hear the players' uh, idea of who should be Hall of Famers. Because more or less, you're you're playing against these guys. It's that on-field atmosphere that you miss when you're not playing on the field against these guys. But... Numbers back it up. Uh, they're great conversations. I actually enjoy that part of it. I don't think anybody's wrong. You're going to get those bitter betties that don't want a lot of guys getting into the Hall of Fame, and then you've got these guys who are like, ah, oh, he should. Everybody should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, they earned it. But I will have a lot of fun, kind of doing a little bit of research on that and try and give you some reasons on why those guys should be in the Hall of Fame for me personally. But uh, to finish up, Blum and Blummer. I thought about getting all heavy on uh, uh, merging in Texas, which I don't think is an understood process. Uh, I've seen a lot of people speed up and not let people merge in when there's an on-ramp directly to their right. But I don't want to finish our our one-year anniversary on a negative connotation. But keep that in mind. If somebody's merging, just let them in. You're not saving yourself that much time. You get two or three seconds out of the whole thing, and you get a guy flipping you off. So try and avoid the situation. Be be accommodating. Let everybody get in there. Just like putting a zipper on your sweatshirt together. Just zip it up. Get on the get on your route and get out of there. But Thanksgiving, I I am a Thanksgiving guy. I am I'm a Christmas guy, but I'm very territorial as far as Thanksgiving getting its time. Uh, it drives me nuts. I know Nordstrom, I think, actually puts out a press release that says we're not putting up anything Christmas until after Thanksgiving. And that's kind of my mentality, too. I love the harvest time. I love having the pumpkins and the gourds and the decorations and the leaves changing and the, the weather getting a little bit cooler. 
but I'm a big family guy and I'm, 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 I try to be as grateful as I can on a daily basis. So this is the Blummer, Blum and Blummer message to you is to try and be as grateful as you can. I know it's the season and I know it's time to go out there and visit with family and friends, but be, a, be nice, enjoy them, be grateful for them. I'm grateful for the opportunity I have here in Houston. I am grateful every day I wake up and I see my four daughters smiling faces. I'm grateful for my wife who allows me to have a great job that I got. I'm grateful to be staring at a guy in a computer screen right now that's allowing us to do this podcast and have fun. And of course, I am most grateful to the fans who are listening to this. So let this be a little bit of a starter kit for everybody during this Thanksgiving time to give thanks. That's what it's about. Thank you for the opportunity here in the States. Thank you for the opportunity that our first 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 responders, our police, our firemen, our military, everybody gives to us. I'm getting a little sappy right now. Tuttles might be shaking his head, but I just want everybody to understand that I love Thanksgiving because I like to eat. But I'm also grateful for the family and friends and the community that we've created here in Houston. Blummer, we are not allowed to have me produce the podcast anymore because today we went out of order. And uh, <laughs> what will Tuttle say is not going to be as, uh, as forgiving and as thankful as what you just said. But I will say the same thing. Uh, just to kind of echo your thoughts is that my wife and I were just talking about it today. We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, I am thankful for this podcast, of course. It's been a really nice outlet over the past 12 months. But more importantly, I agree. I, I get frustrated with the Christmas decorations that are up already. Um, Thanksgiving is a really nice time. And I realize that, you know, what that means is, you know, Uncle Jerry's going to drink three bottles of wine by himself in the corner. And, you know, he's going to eat all the dark meat of the turkey and all those kind of things that everybody has in their family. But that's what makes us laugh. And that's what makes us smile and uh it's great to take, a, like you said, a little time off and be thankful for all the things that we have um, throughout the year. And, and I just want to echo those sentiments. It's, it's, it's an excellent sentiment, and we do want to take a, take a moment to appreciate what we have. Yeah, and just a, a truth be told, I, in the past, I have been a deep-fried turkey guy. I would fry a turkey every year. This year, I will not be doing that. I actually have one of those great big green egg things in the backyard kind of came with the house that we just bought. So my goal this year is to smoke a turkey. I'll let everybody know how, how, how that ends up. Hopefully I'll Instagram some stories about it or something like that. But my goal is to smoke a turkey this year and provide it to the family. Tuttle, is there, do you do any of the cooking on Thanksgiving or is it purely, you know, the wife's side of the family or your side or how does that work? Yeah, no, I do. I, I've been doing the turkey. So we that's that's not the tradition. We nice. kind of rotate around. But I do the brine, you know, the ice, the 24-hour yeah. ice bath for the turkey with a nice brine. I've done that a few times. Um, I put a lot of butter on the turkey. Uh, I've gone with some citrus before, which that kind of is interesting to add a little like lemon and garlic and all that stuff with the turkey mm -hmm. keeps it light. I will say for the amount of people we have in the family, I'm a, I'm a white meat guy. And most of the people are dark meat. So you have that little pile of dark meat that disappears on the plate. And I got this whole thing of white meat turkey. So uh, that makes me happy. But I think brining it has been one way. I've never actually tried to fry it. I've seen enough America's Funniest Home videos where people drop the turkey in a fire and blow up the backyard. And I'm like, <laughs> it makes me nervous. Obviously, I would hopefully uh, be able to uh, to figure out the instructions and how to do it more correctly. But uh is it what's the, the the deal with the fried is that it's nice seared on the outside it's crispy but it's oh. really moist on the inside is that the is that money 
Absolutely. Yeah. You inject it with whatever injectable you want, whether it be garlic, butter, you know, some Cajun spice, whatever you want to throw in there. And then you deep fry this thing. Yes, there is a technique and you've got to be extremely careful with it because things can go disastrously wrong in a hurry and turn it into a turkey rocket, uh, which nobody wants to happen. But yeah, no, it'll crisp up that skin on the outside and then the inside. It's just obviously as as moist. People love that. I'm going to do it again real close to the microphone. Moist. Okay. It might <laughs> yeah. be a Saturday Night Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but it's it's incredibly tasty, and I'm with you on the the white meat part of it. I'll, I you know I'll gnaw on a leg every once in a while, but I'll go straight to the to the bulk of the bird, which is that white meat in the middle of it, and and it's been very good. But that's going to do it for Blum and Blummer. A uh, little bit uh, of fun, and I know now it is Tuttle's turn for that favorite segment that everybody enjoys. So dig in. Grab your knife and fork and be ready to load up because it is time for Whuddle Tuttle Say. Thanks, Blummer. I love these uh, segments because there's, you know, we're making these segments. But uh, just to finish up on your uh, your last segment and your last comment, I, I'm kind of a traditionalist, so I love like sweet potatoes and I love mashed potatoes. But my dad used to make um, uh, a cornbread jalapeno stuffing that I've kind of gotten. So you mentioned Cajun Ooh. spices and stuff. So I want the traditional foods, but I'm not afraid to venture out and do the uh, like. Martha Stewart or the uh, kind of the Guy Fieri or whoever chef you're following that year has some kind of crazy like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this this year. I, I actually we got away from the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows to go to like sweet potato fries, things like that. Like we're using traditional foods. So that's kind of our Thanksgiving thing. And, and again, we're, we're super thankful. So we're going to we're going to shift course here because Jeff didn't want to get into the merging um, this kind of. <laughs> This kind of blends in with that. So just to take your merging point, people in California certainly don't know how to merge. I know New York City, they don't either. The merge, actually, if you merge correctly, it's a very nice transition. Everybody stays moving. If you're being the jerk and you're trying to keep people out, then you have to come to a complete stop. You have to look at the guy, like you said, you're getting flipped off. They're getting flipped off. It's like, it's a whole mess. My thing, and it's a little similar to that, but I think we now have to, definitely say that a smartphone calling your phone a smartphone is an oxymoron it's an oxymoron it is not a smartphone (laughs) and and the example i'm going to use today and i i know the listeners and everybody else out there on twitter can get at us and just tell us that i'm at real david tuttle and we have at blummer 27 we know that there's other examples so if you want to let us know mine is you you come either to a four-way stop or you're driving in a parking lot and there's a pedestrian and the pedestrian looks at you and you look at them and you're like, oh yeah, similar to the merging, I'm gonna let this guy go. And as soon as you let them go, they look down at their phone and they start dragging their feet and they walk super slow. So they're like hyper alert. They're like, all right, yeah, yeah, okay, we're in, in this moment here where there's a car coming. So, And then they put their head down and then they walk as slow as they possibly can with their phone, reading it like there's something that they must read. In these 10 feet from their car to the front of the store where you're letting them walk or the across the crosswalk or the stoplight, it's like, are you serious? Like, you were just paying attention. You just saw me so that I wouldn't hit you. And now you're going to, like, shuffle your feet and read your phone because you can't not look at your phone from the 10 seconds from your car into the store. It's unbelievable how I'm tempted. I've heard this on some other kind of either podcasts or TED Talks, but going back to the flip phone. Something like that. I mean, I can live without Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. 
Um, the main reason I'm on Twitter is for this podcast, which actually I don't know if I could live without Twitter, but I'm going to start kind of putting parameters parameters around the time. Because as you said, we'll go back to the family aspect. It's so great to be able to sit down at night and have dinner with your family and you know nobody's on a device and nobody's answering email and you're having all that. So I guess my, my rant here and what will Tuttle say is mainly about spending more quality time with your family and being a better human. But uh, to be a better human, we guess I got to crush those people that uh, that are not making the effort. So how, what do you think about that? No, it's true. And what's amazing to me is you get in that situation and you give the, the pedestrian the right of way. And what the, what's the first thing they do with a 4,000-pound vehicle across the way? They ignore it and put their head down and start walking across the street. That's what's mind-blowing to me. But a similar situation literally happened to me yesterday as I'm going to the chop shop to get my, you know, my moss cut. For those of you who are new to this, that's getting a haircut. Uh, and Blomber I, gets one about every week, so there you go. <laughs> hey, I got to tame this mess, man. But uh, I'm in the. It's a. It's a four stop. It's an intersection, four way intersection, and I'm stopped at the at the red light. There's a pedestrian coming up on the right hand side who's I think is going to cross the street. I need to make a right turn. Green light, white little you know light with the walking person pops up, and the person on the corner is looking at me and then starts looking at their phone and I'm trying to be the courteous guy and not run over a human. And I'm thinking, well, they're in the crosswalk. Are they going to go? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And guess who starts honking people behind me. And I'm going, dude, if I go, guess what's going to happen? Slappy over here with his AirPods and his phone are going to walk right into the hood of my car and I'm going to get sued to the, you know, forever. And I literally sat there for about 15, 20 seconds, and the person proceeded to turn around and walk back. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And guess what the moral of that story is? is I wasted 15 seconds of my life, and I'm mad. Which, which as you said, is better than being sued or, you know, you can handle the honking. It's like having people <laughs> yell at you when you're in the booth, I guess, right? We just start ignoring people. It's fine. <laughs> No, I, I, I do. I, I just think it does. It really dumbs your, you know, I, I wouldn't say dumb, dulls your senses and kind of gets you in this place where, you know, we see it all the time. I, I saw a family of four uh, sit down to dinner after like Little League practice one night and, you know, as teenagers, mind you, and you and I, I have one, you have four. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your rule is at dinner, but we all sat down. I mean, they were at a restaurant, so it was different, but the parents pulled out the phones first and you could look over their shoulder and they're looking at Instagram. And once the parents had their phones out, the kids had their phones out. So you have four people sitting at a table, not engaged at all. That is not the direction I want to go. That's not something I want to promote. So anyway, this, the smartphone, like I said, oxymoron, whoever named it a smartphone is a genius because people go, Hey, I have a smartphone that makes me smart. And, uh, I would, I would tend to disagree. So, that's all I got for what will Tuttle say. Nice, Tuttle, picking on everybody. But no, and, and it, actually that leads into Thanksgiving, man. When you sit down at Thanksgiving table, you make the time to get the effort to get everybody together, put the dang thing down. I mean, it, I'm all for taking pictures of your food or sharing a good story. But if you actually have the moment where you got that plate of food in front of you and you've got family around you, throw that thing out the window. You get to know each other a lot better and get to hear those stories. And, and that's what I love sitting around the table is hearing the stories about everybody. Because now that I'm in Houston and I'm not as close to my family and friends, we definitely appreciate the time together a little bit more often. So, And, and I'm grateful for the fact that our kids and my wife actually put it upon us to actually focus in on the, the person across from us and to enjoy the stories that are being told because you know as much as as many pictures as you can take on your phone it's those memories and those stories that you'll take with you forever 
And that's what we're doing here, man. We're sitting across from each other. We're staring at each other. We're engaged with each other. And I, I really enjoy that. And I, and I want to say, because we're being thankful, it's a great time to throw the don't bet on it segment in um, because the fans are not going to be thankful <laughs> for what I laid on them last week. Uh, the Jaguars did not hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, and uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, did I bet Cincinnati again? Now I can't even remember the teams I bet last week, but it did not turn out uh, for for my benefit, and I I apologize to the fans. That's the first time I've had an 0-3 week, and uh, it, I can't say it won't happen again. That's why I tell you not to bet on it, but it's the first time it came to fruition. So I'm going to give you... Uh, I'm going to give you three more games this week. I'm going to give you one college game. Texas is playing Baylor. Baylor is 9-1. and one. They got beat last week by Oklahoma. They were up 31-3, I think, or 28-3. And at halftime, it was 31-10, to 10, I think, and they lost 34-31, I believe. So Baylor was 9-0, and and they've you know kind of rebuilt their program and all this stuff. And, you know, things that you guys don't care about when you're betting. But they're playing Texas this, this week. Tom Herman, he's 5-4. and four. Baylor's 9-1. and one. Texas is getting six points. I'm going to take Texas plus six because no reason. Remember, don't <laughs> bet on it. Uh, I think Texas, Tom Herman is kind of a big game coach. He does well getting his team up at certain times. I don't know how long he's going to last in Austin. This is the third year of kind of like, meh, we're rebuilding. So I don't know how long the fans will stick with him. But folks, if you want to not bet on it, I would take Texas plus six in that game versus Baylor. Uh, and then I'm going to take in the NFL, I'm going to take both the uh, New York teams. The Raiders are going across country to play the New York Jets. And they're giving up some points. I think they're giving up three points to the Jets. The Jets are playing better. I think they've won two in a row. And uh, I know they played the Redskins, I think. They lost to the Dolphins. Anyway, I think they've won two in a row or two out of their last three. So I'm going to take the Jets plus three there versus the Raiders. And both you and I like the Raiders. we got some fantasy guys on our Raiders. But I'm going to say the Jets stay in that game. Uh, and then the Giants, the New York Giants. I have no idea who they're playing, but they're getting a touchdown. So I'm going to take the Giants plus seven. So that's where we're at on the don't bet on segment. So after Thanksgiving, folks, if I don't pull through and win some games for you, just be thankful that I gave you these bets and that you didn't bet on them. That's don't bet on it. And we have gotten through this Bleacher Blums podcast. It has been a lot of fun. And remember, we are going to take a little bit of a hiatus, I think, going through uh, Thanksgiving. We hope that you all enjoy your family, friends, be safe, travel out there, practice patience might be a good thing. I will be uh, I will be off the grid, so to speak, for the next four or five days. I'm taking the family on a trip out of the country, actually, and then we're going to be back here for Thanksgiving to enjoy it with some family that's coming out from California. So be patient, be kind, be thankful, and obviously we are thankful to be able to do this podcast in the free country of the United States of America because of the military that's out there protecting our borders and protecting protecting us abroad. We obviously love you and appreciate all of you who serve and have served. And of course, all the first responders, the policemen, firemen, EMTs, everybody out there doing a great job keeping this planet and this country the way we like it, which is a lot of fun, even though things are a little chaotic out there in DC. But have a great Thanksgiving. Tuttle, any parting words before we get out of this Bleacher Blums? No, I think we kind of touched on it throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole podcast. I just want to say happy anniversary to us for our one year anniversary, and of course, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, Blummer, and to all of our listeners out there, folks. Please download, download. Gosh, can't speak today. Download, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. We do appreciate you guys, and we're really thankful for you. 
And uh, and that's it, Blummer. Have have a good hiatus. We'll take a couple extra days off, and then we'll see you after uh, Thanksgiving. It's going to be good. So obviously, we want Tuttle and his family to have a great Thanksgiving also. But the one thing we always tell you at the end of every Bleacher Blums podcast is to get after it. Whatever it is, whether it's dinner, food, friends, family, get after it. And most of all, you've got to believe it. <laughs>